As Caleb mentioned this morning, our sermons uh, go together. He preached a sermon entitled, The Truth About the Truth. And as Jay mentioned, the sermon tonight is entitled, Lies About the Truth. To consider truth about truth, that necessarily implies that there are lies about the truth, else why wouldn't you just say truth? But if we have to talk about the truth about the truth, then we are contending with things that are not true relative to truth. And all of that boils down to really one, one simple question or one simple uh, matter of consideration, and that is, is there an objective standard or is there objective truth? Is there a standard by which in, in any realm where we can know what's right or what's wrong? In the realm of morality, in the realm of religion, is there an objective standard? Is there a standard by which we can judge something to be right or to be wrong? And we ask that question, because, and we talk about this subject the way that we are today, because there are those, of course, who say, yes, there is an objective standard. And there are those who say, no, there is no objective standard. And I would put forth this proposition before us tonight, since we are here in the interest of truth and in the interest of knowing God's will for us tonight. And I would simply say that you and I cannot say no to that question about objective truth. We can't say no and call ourselves Christians. You just can't. You can't say that there is no objective standard and then in the same breath say, but I'm a Christian. And I say that in light of passages like, this is not the only one, but uh, it seems to me this one serves the purpose well. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where Paul said, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered, and having then been made free you have become servants of righteousness. And so we were delivered to, or there was delivered to us for our consideration, a form of doctrine, objective truth. And we obeyed that form of doctrine that was delivered to us or to which we have been delivered. And having accepted that and obeyed that, we became free from sin and we became servants of righteousness. So if I say this this evening, there is no objective standard by which we can be judged and by which we can judge God's will for us, then I can't call myself a Christian because what I did when I became a child of God was obey an objective standard. Tonight, we are considering some lies that are an outgrowth of this idea that there is no objective standard. Now, if I gave you 30 minutes to consider all the lies you've ever told in your life and to tell me a little bit about them, you know you couldn't do that 
in 30 minutes. So to discuss all of the lies that are said about truth in that amount of time tonight would be impossible as well. But there are some highlights. There are some categories or some areas, I guess we could say, of lies or some arenas of lies that are common, and so we'll consider those. And this is the first one. The first lie about truth is that truth cannot be known. You know, there was a period of time in history referred to or known as modernism. And in that period of time, the the things or the ideas or the concepts or desires that, that stood out were the idea of rationality and the idea for a quest for universal truths. Now, that, that was society in art, in theology, in all of the major arenas of life. Moder- uh, modernity said there is a way to be rational about our approach to things, and we can go on a quest for objective truth and standards. You may have heard the term postmodernism, which would be the essence of the era in which we live today. And in postmodernism, the key concepts are subjectivity. Everything's subjective. And the idea of context shapes the meaning. In other words, what are the circumstances of the deta- and the details about a thing, and that will tell us what truth or reality or how to be rational. That's postmodernism. In other words, there is no objectivity. There are no objective standards. And so we've gone from, we're not, just, we're not talking about the realm of religion specifically, just in society and culture and the way people want to think, we've gone from a quest for objectivity, a quest for rationality, to a period of time where, you know, that's, that's ancient. You're prehistoric if you believe in objective standards because there is none. There are none, and you have to know all the details, and you have to understand things, certain things and events in order to arrive at truth or a standard by which someone might be judged, although they would argue you can't even judge. And so today we're considered arrogant if we suggest that there is a truth to which all men are amenable. Caleb held up the Bible as the standard by which we are to judge what is right and what is wrong, the standard by which we will be judged in the day of judgment, and yet the majority of people in this world would laugh you out of the building if you suggested something as rigid and as structured and as exact as there being one way to approach the God of heaven. But I would suggest to us, not not just suggest, but I would just put forth forth before us tonight as as truth and reality that if truth cannot be known, if we cannot know truth objectively, then we might as well throw the Bible out. Just on your way home today, if that's 
the place you arrive at, just roll your window down and, and throw it out and see what happens to all the pages as, as they fly because it means nothing. The Bible means nothing if we can't look at it as an objective standard. It's not a poetry book given for poems. It's not a history book given as history. It, that's not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to, communi to communicate God's will to us, and it does so objectively. I, and there, there are scores of passages in addition to the ones that Caleb gave this morning that could be used to point this out. But here, just think of these. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude wanted to recognize the common Salvation. How was salvation common? People had done the same thing to realize it. But Jude was compelled to write something other than what he wrote, wanted to write about com the commonality of salvation. What did he have to write? Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. The system of faith, not personal faith, but the objective standard. The system of faith. Contend earnestly for it. Why? Because that's the, that is the essence of our common salvation. And if you throw the Bible out, we don't have it anymore. Paul told Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that all men be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so, if truth cannot be known, then we might as well just throw the Bible out because all over its pages, it presents itself as an objective standard. And if there is no objective standard, then the Bible is full of lies. Now, that's not what I believe for the sake of the little children in here that are hearing bits and pieces of what I say, the Bible is right, as Marshall Keeble would say. And it is a standard by which we can know God's will with certainty. Not only that, but salvation is contingent upon it. It is imperative that we be able to know what God's will is and that we be able to do it. Jesus, or not Jesus, but in John chapter 6 and verse 68, when Jesus was forsaken by the majority, Jesus asked his disciples, will you also go away? And then in verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And two chapters later in John chapter 8, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth 
shall make you free. So here's the first lie about the truth. The truth cannot be known. It certainly can. And the Bible is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. And so that's a lie. It's the lie of lies. As we start out in this consideration of lies about the truth tonight, truth can indeed be known, and Caleb helped us with that this morning. Number two, truth is situational. Remember, postmodernism, the situations and the circumstances must be taken into consideration in order to arrive at an understanding of something. And so there is the idea in the world that truth is situational. What is right and what is wrong has to be based upon the circumstances as they are, as they exist. In other words, circumstances have the power and the influence to alter the norms or the rules. These are the rules, God says. These are the norms by which we are to live our life. But what are the circumstances? What, what, are the, what is the situation that I'm facing right now in life? Because that may have the power to alter what God expects or what God expected of me. Truth is situational in this regard. Someone might say, well, I don't. I didn't know what God's will was. Well, that's a precarious situation. I didn't know. I didn't know if you walked out in the street, you might get hit by a car. I didn't know if you stepped off of a tall building, you would fall to the ground and probably die. I didn't know. But does that change that situation? Don't step off a building after you leave here just to test that hypothesis. Because you know what will happen. Not knowing doesn't change the reality of a situation. And it certainly does with regard to God's will. I, you know, and there are a number of realms that we can look at in religion for just a moment to illustrate this. But, I mean, let's just think of some. Just false doctrine in general. People sit in pews and religious assemblies all over this world and listen to lies about the truth. And they just swallow it hook, line, and sinker and don't go to the Bible like the Bereans did, as Caleb pointed out this morning. They just take it for gospel, right? And in the day of judgment, there they will be before God, having listened to lies, having obeyed lies. And then God says, that's not my objective standard that you were supposed to follow. And they say, well, I didn't know. Do, do you and I think that really matters? If it does, it would be in our best interest not to tell another person about the gospel. Don't, don't tell another soul about the gospel plan of salvation because you're just going to create a situation for them that's not necessary. Because if they're ignorant when they go before the throne of God in judgment, they're okay. Because those are the circumstances. And the circumstances determine whether or not your truth should apply to them or vice versa. It's just crazy. 
And it, it's happening in uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. People can do whatever they want, and, and God's just going to accept it. And let, let's just illustrate how circumstances and situations will dictate and change truth and the rules that God has put in place with respect to that one topic. Because I've heard people say, well, yes, that man and woman, they, they didn't have a right to be married, but they've been married for 20 years, and they've had six children in that marriage, and you mean to tell me that now God would want them to disrupt that marriage just because that's what his will said? They didn't know. What I'm telling you is truth is truth. And it doesn't matter how bad we wind it up in order to get right with God, we have to unwind it and make sure that we're in alignment with truth because God has an objective standard that we're supposed to follow. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and, and I didn't know it's not going to fix it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8 says that Jesus will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Listen, did you hear that? Who do not know God. It, it doesn't stop at they didn't know his objective standard if they didn't even know him. They're still going to face the same judgment as one who knew it well and deliberately chose not to follow it. That judgment will come, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, against those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say anything about ignorance being bliss. If it says anything, it says just the opposite, at least in principle. And so I did not know God's will will not work. That, that sounds good from a situational perspective, but it just doesn't work. What about the end justifies the means? That's situational. I know, I know that the Bible prescribes a certain set of items in which we're supposed to engage in worship. I, I know it says that. But the society and culture we live in today look at that and they say, that's so antiquated. It's so rigid. It's so structured. People don't want that. And so let's just spice it up a little bit. Let's put some mechanical instruments in here. Let's mic up some of the best singers in the building and let's make sure we hear them uh, over everybody else who can't see. And, you know, we live in a society that, that's just kind of erasing the lines between the different roles in marriage and family. And let, let's not speak so loudly about there are men and there are women. Let, let's, let's not draw any undue attention to ourselves. And then when we get people in, because we haven't run them off, then we'll teach them the truth. And we'll help them understand it after we get them in. The end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how you get people to obey the truth as long as you get them to obey it. At least that's the idea. In other words, you can set aside Bible authority to save people. 
What a contradiction. You know, in nature, the laws that exist aren't situational. Gravity is not situational. Chemistry, very consistent, not situational. Mathematics, it's not situational. We, we, we operate and we function with a high degree of expectation in these arenas because of the consistency of it, because of the objectiveness of it. And it's true spiritually and morally as well. Again, Jesus said, your word is true. Colossians 3.17 says we're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus or by his authority. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that scripture is given to us inspired of God and that it's profitable. You know the areas in doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Not, you know, there's no footnote there, at least an inspired footnote that says, if the situation is right, then truth is fitting for these things. It's just fitting for these areas of life. And the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So another lie about the truth is that it's situational. Yes, this is truth. This is God's will on a matter, but the situations and the circumstances can override that and make truth no longer true. That's, that's the lie. Truth is truth, and it is always truth in reality. Number three, truth is individual. Now, this is really popular today, but it didn't start today. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. We can never know what the thing in itself is, only what it is for us, how it appears to us. And our society has taken that idea and run with it. You, you can't know facts. It only interpretation. So if there's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 100 people preachers count. If there are 100 people in here tonight, we have 100 truths, potentially, because you can't say, here's the truth and it applies to all of us. There are no facts, only interpretations. So we have a hundred different interpretations. Therefore, we have a hundred truths. And this is my truth, and that's your truth. Now, that's, that's the way it works in this truth is individual lie. Each person truly, each person's truth is equally valid. We have a hundred, and all of them are equal. They're on the same level of equality, and yours can't be better than mine, and mine can't be better than yours. And there's no standard to judge. So therefore, who are you to say your truth is better than mine or that there's one that we should all have? I mean, how many times have you heard, if you, if, if you just watch TV, if you 
ingest any kind of media, how many times have you heard my truth? That's his truth. That's her truth. They're just talking about interpretations or the way I see it. It's not really truth. It's more like what I want truth to be. And one can imagine a product of a society with no discernible rights or wrongs. Can you imagine what society would look like if there were no objective rights and wrongs? I say that somewhat facetiously because we don't have to imagine it. We can see it in the Bible, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king. There was no authority in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. No standard. And we know what the book of Judges, the book of Joshua is the book of victories, success, conquest. The book of Judges, the book of failure. But you don't even have to look in the Bible. You can just look at your favorite media sources today and see the same thing. Truth is individual, they say. But not so with God. God expects and demands unity based upon truth, based upon the objective standard that he has given us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do we get to that point? Worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The same faith that Jude said was once for all delivered to the saints for which we are to contend earnestly. And so this lie that truth is individual is not biblical. It's convenient. It's very convenient. And society loves it. But Christians can't because it's a lie. It's not the truth. Number four and finally, here's another lie and the final one on which I settled. Truth does not transcend ideologies. Now, by ideology, I mean a group of ideas, a manner of thinking characteristic of a group. So an ideology can be anything. It can be political. Uh, it could be religious. All the different religious uh, denominations of the world, different ideologies, groups, group thinking, right? We have, guess what? We have a body of truth in our little group that we hold as the standard, and that's our truth. So it's not just individuals, but groups can have it, and they do. And even religious groups that are not the Lord's church have bodies of things that they consider truth by which they will determine acceptance for membership. And so groups can have this. And they say that 
There is no truth that transcends ideologies. If this is what the group says, then that's truth for the group. That's a lie. If a group of people agree, then that becomes their truth. That's a lie, at least as far as God is concerned. I mean, will that, will that really work? Has it, has it worked with God? Let me just run us through some. I remember a trio of a group that formed a group and had an ideology in the very beginning of our Bibles. That It was Adam and Eve and Satan. And they did some group thinking there. Uh, Satan orchestrated it, and he said, what did God say to you? And they rehearsed. And, and the devil told Eve that even though God said, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll not surely die. Even though God said that, we're going to work some magic in this group and we're going to come up with an alternate reality. And the essence of our new reality is that's not what's going to happen to you. In fact, if you do what God said don't do, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to have knowledge you don't have right now. You're going to know Good and evil. Now there's a, a way of thinking between Satan and Adam and Eve, Eve and Adam eventually here where we're going to change truth. We're going to alter reality and we in this group have the power to do that. Well, what happened? Well, you and I are recipients even tonight of the consequences of that kind of group thinking that the majority can override what God has said is truth or the standard. They were expelled from the garden. Sin entered the world, and you and I battle it even tonight. And we need to walk in the blood of Jesus Christ to continue to cleanse us of our sin because of that lie. How did that work out? Not very good. What about Babel? There, here's another group of people decided we're going to pull together. We're going to build a tower to heaven and make a name for ourselves. And God said, that's not what I told you to do. He said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Well, we're going to park it right here and make a name for ourselves. And we've got a lot of people here, and that's going to change reality because we're all united in this one idea. And God changed their language and spread them. What about Old Testament Israel? Come out of Egypt, started complaining almost immediately that Moses had brought them out to die in the wilderness. The whole group. And those who were accountable for this standard, 20 years old and upward, 603,550 of them, that's a big group. Surely they ought to be able to decide. If anybody can decide on something that's going to alter truth, surely they could do it. And God killed off every one of them except for two. How'd that work out for them? Churches today change what they believe, what they practice, what they teach based on that kind of group thinking or that group dynamic. 
If we've got a big enough group, and if we all agree on it, then we can change it. Worship, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, morality, what, whatever. And as long as that's what we want in this group, then that becomes truth. And that's just not true. That's a lie. It doesn't matter if every member of this congregation and then some decides it would be better to do this instead of what God said. That doesn't make it truth. It doesn't change truth, and it doesn't change the standard by which we will be judged. Jesus did not grant the power to change truth to groups, to ideologies. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he asked, told the Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removing from him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. An angel, if, if an angel joined your group, that would give you the power to change the will of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, Paul said, Therefore put away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one with another. And that's what we need is the truth. The truth about the truth is we need truth. And the lies about the truth will destroy any hope that we have of salvation. Since we've given some philosophers opportunity to speak tonight, I'll add one more. Alan Bloom in his book, The Closing of the American Mind said, the single most agreed upon truth on the American college campus today is that truth is relative, that there is no such thing as absolute truth, only opinions. And that's the religious mindset in our world today. And in many places, it has crept into the Lord's church. And the Lord's church in some places has been content to accept lies about the truth instead of the truth. Why? Because truth is not compatible with their interest. They have a mind of what they want to do and truth is not compatible with it. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 6, Jer actually Jeremiah wrote what God said. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk in it. And they said, and you will find rest to your souls, but they said, we will not walk in it. And that's the situation in our world today. The truth that God has provided is not compatible with the lives that people want to live. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that truth is objective it's rational, it's discernible, it is understandable at an elementary level, as Caleb pointed out this morning. And if we reject it, if we are willing to accept lies rather than truth, 
God won't judge us based upon what we concocted. He will judge us based upon what he has commanded. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. You have an objective pattern of truth that you can obey that includes believing the gospel, the truth, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized in water to have your sins washed away. We want so much tonight to help you do that if that's your need. You're here as a child of God, but you're listening to the world. You're listening to the lies. Might you be challenged and encouraged loving, lovingly and passionately tonight to take God's word as objective truth, a standard that on which we all can agree. A standard that can make all religious people one in Christ Jesus if we'll abandon our own wills and submit to his. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the invitation for any reason, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.